Welcome to The Disappearing Mind, a unique podcast helping you find clarity and support along your dementia journey. Now, join National Dementia Trainer and Coach Don Platt for an all-new episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast today. Uh, Today's an exciting show, uh, one that I've been looking forward to. Um, We're going to be talking to someone with firsthand knowledge of what it is like to get a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and dementia. And we're going to talk about how that happened at the age of 58 years old. Uh, This occurred in 2018. So I am just very excited to have the opportunity to speak with uh, Rita Harrison. Rita will be joining us today and talking about her experience, what it was like to get the diagnosis, how she's doing now, and how she's living well. So welcome, Rita, to the podcast. Hello. It's so good to have you today. Where are you coming to us from? Uh, Nicholasville, Kentucky. We're just uh, south of Lexington, Kentucky. Great, great. So Rita, I have read your bio. I was thoroughly impressed with what you wrote in there. Um, The fact that you got a diagnosis, you were actively working, you had come back from from an extended vacation, Um, some things occurred, and you reached out to get a diagnosis, but there were several steps that you took in order to get that. And not only did you work to get that diagnosis, but you became involved in a study program and you are currently an ambassador for the early onset program at the Alzheimer's Association. So we're going to talk about that today as we get into a number of questions. And I'm just excited for you to respond. Personally, I think that this podcast is, is very valuable. Uh, to people who are like you or maybe going through or supporting someone who has mild cognitive impairment or who has dementia. It's real. And I believe that your story is one, uh, well, you're a hero to me, how you worked a system and how you maneuvered that. And and I think that this is going to be very helpful to others as we get into it today. So without further ado, let's get into some of the questions that I've put together. Okay. Sarita, as I read your bio, I said that I was very impressed. And I know how hard that it must have been to get that kind of diagnosis. Um, but you were diagnosed in 2018 at the age of 58. Please yes. tell us what led up to that diagnosis and what that was like. Well, I had uh, returned to work from vacation. I was a surgery coordinator in the plastic surgery department at the University of Kentucky. Um, so it was a very stressful job, but I loved it. It was my favorite job I've ever had. But I came into my office and I really didn't know where to begin. In my particular job, um, there was no one to do the work while I was gone. So I was just overwhelmed. I've always been a very organized person, but I really did not know where to start. So I ran into actually my my uh, manager and she said, what's wrong with you? I mean, she could always read my expressions, you know, and I said, I'm just lost. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to begin. So she came in my office and organized all my work for me and helped me get started. But I still struggled. 
I just knew something wasn't right. I couldn't remember how to do anything. I just, I, I was just overwhelmed by all of it. Looking back now, I think what it was is when you're in that kind of a job, you're working so hard and you're so stressed, you don't think a whole lot about it. But then when you go away from it for a week on vacation and come back into it, you're like, oh my gosh, what, how did I ever do any of this, you know? And so I knew something wasn't right. So I, um, I just called neurology and scheduled my own appointment and went and um, was tested. I really didn't know what to expect. I had no idea, but I've, I've always gone to these doctors. So I trusted the, the whole university with my health. I'm also a cancer survivor. So I'm, I'm used to dealing with doctors. And I do know that in today's time, you have to take care of your own health. You have to be proactive. You can't wait for them to call you. You have to call them and um, take charge of your own health. So I went through the testing and uh, one doctor told me, um, who I really admire now, that I needed to, you know, find a different job. And I was like, well, I have bills to pay. I have a mortgage to pay. You know, I, I can't just leave my job. And he said, well, you need to take a lesser job then. So I went back to work and just kept on working. And I was invited to join a MCI study group at Sanders Brown in Lexington. So I thought, okay, my doctor recommended me I would do this. Oh, let me back up. At the end of my testing, the other doctor told me I had dementia. I was like, okay, and just sent me on my way. That was it. So I oh, went wow. to this study group, and they kept talking about MCI. There was four of us in this group, and I couldn't figure out why I, why I was in there because I was told I had dementia. So as I learned through the group, what MCI was. And then the leader, leader of the group said, well, your doctor recommended you be in here. So he thought you would benefit from it. It's like, okay, well then it was a great group. I really enjoyed it, but I pulled my notes the next time I went to the doctor and it right there, my diagnosis was MCI. And I thought, how, how can this happen? How can one doctor tell you you have dementia and then your paperwork say you have MCI and how does all this relate? You know, so anyway, I had more information the next time I went back to my study group, and then I was able to move forward. But it honestly, it took me two years to come to grips with this diagnosis and what it meant, because then I started doing my own research to figure out what, what all was involved. Right. And so, and then um, the pandemic hit, and I was furloughed for six weeks. And during that six weeks was amazing, because my brain was so much better that six weeks. So I talked to my husband and we decided to uh, try to refinance our home. And we came up with a plan with our finances. And then I walked away in um, February of 2021. Wow. So I walked away from my job and then I filed for disability, which I did get disability, but it, it was, it was tough. I bet. So, so for our audience, let's back up just a minute. I have mm -hmm. a couple of questions. How long had you been doing that job and how long were you on vacation? I was on vacation for a week. I was in that particular job just for two years, but I'd been with the university. I've been with the university since I was I actually was 17 when I started there. So I've been in this area for a long time, but that particular job, I was just in it for two years. 
So did you notice anything coming up before you went on vacation that you were having any difficulties at all with the processes of your job or was it just after? No, I was just stressed. You know, um, you know, people say stress can kill you and I really think it can. I was just really stressed to the max. And because my job, it's not just scheduling surgeries, it's getting their surgeries approved by their insurance companies. And it's just Mm -hmm. a lot, lot to it. And, you know, these people are relying on me to take care of them, you know, on the, on the paperwork part anyway, you know? So it was, it was just stressful, but I, like I said, I love the job. I love, I love plastic surgery is everybody thinks it's cosmetic, but it's not, it's mostly trauma surgery. And it said that you were pretty organized employee, like you, oh, you yes. really knew what I, you were doing and, and it wasn't I'm, something that it wasn't something new for you. It was something you had done. No, I'm, I'm really OCD about things. So I, <laughs> everything has okay. its place. You know? <laughs> yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. So, so also for our, our audience who may not be aware, I mean, people use word, the words Alzheimer's and dementia interchangeably, and they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the people listening, MCI is quite a different diagnosis than actual dementia. So how did you, like, how did you find that out? And what does that mean to you? What are the differences in your opinion? Well, what I learned through the study program was that de- dementia is the, all, um, the umbrella diagnosis. Uh, so er- it all falls under dementia. And then you've got MCI, you've got Alzheimer's, you've got vascular dementia, Lewy bodies. There's all different kinds of dementia under that category. It's like having cancer as your top level. And then underneath that, you would have ovarian cancer, thyroid cancer, gastro cancer, all that type of thing. Does that, does that make? Yeah. Yeah. So, so typically what we see is the term mild cognitive impairment is usually given by physicians or memory care clinics when, you know, the person is still functioning pretty well. Um, There are some changes happening, but they are not interfering with everyday life. That's usually when you get that diagnosis. And I think the statistics are, and don't quote me, but around 20% of those people go on to have full-blown dementia. So dementia Mm -hmm. is an umbrella term, which you you mentioned. And Mm -hmm. currently there are probably over 120, 130 different types of dementia that fall under the umbrella. So those that are treatable, that are caused by a physical condition or hormone condition or tumor. And then those that actually are diseased with Alzheimer's being the top type. So getting that broad term, um, I saw in your bio that you went through a number of cognitive tests, right? Mm -hmm. And you were abruptly given that diagnosis and told to come back in six months. So tell us, I mean, people must face that. Like, here you go. Here you go, Rita. Here you go. You have dementia. Thanks. See you in six months. See how you're doing. Like, tell us, tell, tell a family member what, what you were feeling and what steps you took. Cause I have a feeling that you're a little bit of a trooper when it comes to things like that, that you don't just take that, you know, sitting down. Like I said, I believe you have to be proactive. And I know a lot of people, you know, even my son says, well, if I get this disease, I don't want to know about it. Well, that's not the correct way to do this. So I've tried to talk to him about this, but 
No, you just have to take control and try to figure your way out through it. Now I know a lot more than I knew then. Now there's the Alzheimer's Association. There's all kinds of help within their area that they can help you with. But I didn't have any idea what that was. I never heard of it. I didn't know anything about Alzheimer's, you know. So I just started doing my research, my own research. I read everything I could. I'm not well educated enough to really read all the textbooks, but I, I did as much reading up on it as I could. And I love to read the books, the novels that people have written who have lived through this disease. Those books helped me better than any of them. And really? so I, I read, yes, I read a lot of those. And um, it's wonderful to hear other people's stories. So I think my goal is just to try to help other people deal with this disease and come to a peace with this diagnosis. And, is, there, um, is there a particular book that, that touched you more than another? or On Pluto by Greg O'Brien. Okay, On Pluto by Greg O'Brien. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one. Let's see if I can remember his name can't remember his name right now. Well, that's okay. It, it'll come to us as um, we go. I just, I love giving resources to people. Yeah. And but uh, what I did was I just um, went online and researched, you know, books by people who have survived Alzheimer's. Uh -huh. um, there's also a wonderful movie on um, I'm Still Alice that came out years ago. I love that. Um, and I read that book. That was probably the first book I read. I've read so many books. I can't remember their names right now. I, still still yeah. Alice was an amazing um, yes. movie as yeah. well. Uh, yes. Very accurately depicted. If, yes. if someone yes. has not seen it, I would highly recommend that. Right. And it's very relatable. I, I think I cried through the whole thing. So yeah. let's go back to some of your testing because people mm -hmm. are always wanting to know. So you had several cognitive tests, you had other tests. So mm -hmm. what types of testing did you go through and explain to us you know, how you were feeling or how you did at the time? Well, it's, it's all pretty simple, really, but I didn't do so well. They'll give you a series of words, and it might be six different words from different categories, like a fruit or a vegetable or a, a form of transportation or anything like that. And then they'll talk to you, and then they'll ask you a little bit later to tell them what it was, what those items were. And mm -hmm. I didn't do very well. <laughs> so so they were memory, memory recall type things. Yeah. And then yeah. also there was testing with numbers and I'm terrible with numbers, always have been with numbers, but they give you a series of numbers and you would have to remember those numbers or uh, somebody's address, you know, things like that. And you'd have to remember. And I, I just didn't score well. I mean, I didn't, I didn't flunk it. I just didn't score well. You know, I thought I would, but I didn't, you know. Right. Um, so it was a series of things like that. But I think the, the most recent thing that I've had done to get into this last study was I had a lumbar puncture done, which showed um, that I had amyloid on my brain and mm -hmm. also tau. So those are the things that qualify you to have Alzheimer's. So you got a diagnosis. Um, it was quick. It was abrupt. Mm -hmm. um, it was very broad. So you, mm -hmm. it, it, your bio says that you were frustrated and confused and you set out to get as much information as possible. So we've talked about that you read books by other people, but what other steps, like what would you recommend to somebody who is in that position, you know, that we're describing here, what, what would you tell them to do for peace of mind, to gather information and, you know, just where would they go? 
I would contact the Alzheimer's Association now. If I had to do over again, I would contact them and I would get into a support group. And this is where I struggled. I could not find a support group in my area for the person that's living with this disease. They have all kinds of support groups for caregivers. And I totally get that because they, oh my gosh, I know what they're going through is unbelievable. So I understand that they need support groups, but there aren't any in my area mm-hmm. for the person living with the disease. So I have to drive to Louisville once a month which is a two hour drive for me. And uh, my husband drives me because I don't drive that far anymore. That has helped me a lot. Now, in my experience, the people in my group are a little further along in the disease as I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of shocking when I first joined the group because I I hadn't met anybody with this disease. So then as I've, I've been in it for over a year and a half now, there's new people have joined the group. So now I've got new people coming in that are more like how I was. And uh-huh. then we've, we've lost some people because they just don't, they don't come anymore. I think when they can't feel that like they can participate, then they drop out. But you've got to have a support group because you've got to understand that you're not the only person that's living with this disease and other people can help you, but you've got to be able to open yourself up and reach out to people to get through this disease. Yeah, such great advice. And you know, I hear this a lot um, throughout my career, um, especially for people as, as young as you. They can't relate, you know, to the caregiver support groups. And they often feel um, different than some of the people who go to, you know, the support group who are obviously well into the disease, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there is a void and an opportunity to promote people like you, they're out there. People with early onset are definitely out there. They're still trying uh, or finding the importance of accessing the information. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we hope in the podcast that we will be able to link people together. Because like you said, it's invaluable even to just you know, have a conversation with someone who has similarities to you or that you can, it must be very rewarding for you to be able to talk with them and share your experience. I know it sounds weird, but I've really enjoyed my journey. I mean, there's times when I I have rough days, but I enjoy talking to people about this and I've helped, I've helped quite a few people along my journey. Um, People who didn't know anything about the disease to people who are going through the same thing and not knowing how to deal with it. You know, I just try to encourage people to get some help early on. Don't wait till somebody else is making decisions for you. I don't want my family to make any decisions for me. I'm going to make my own decisions. And that was my whole thing in the beginning. I want to make my decisions. I don't want someone else doing it for me. Well, let's talk about that because I think that's key and it is always recommended, but it doesn't always happen. So, you know, you know what you want and what you don't want. How key is that? And how did you discuss that with your family? Well, it really helped because the study group that I was in with for the MCI, um, one of the topics was what do you want to do and how do you want to handle your situation? So my, it was a requirement that my husband attend these meetings also. So it opened up doors for us to try to figure all this out, you know, and, um, you know, things like, do I want to be put in a a home? Do I want to be, you know, or do I want to stay within my home? 
who do I want to be my caregiver? You got to make those decisions. You know, my husband is 13 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So I did not expect him to be taking care of me. I thought that I would be taking care of him. So this really threw a curveball into my life because all of a sudden now, who, who do I turn to, you know? So he's trying, he's trying really hard, but I can't expect for him to deal with all of it. So I've got um, some children and some friends that will help in other areas and family members, but you have to start looking, you have to start making plans because you can't wait till it's too late. You know, your family's already going through a lot. They need to know exactly what you want, what you're thinking. Don't just let them decide at all because that's too much pressure on them. They're already having to deal with so much anyway. If they at least know how you feel about things, that gives them some guidelines as to what you want to do. That's just my opinion. But Well, I'm a dementia coach. And so mm -hmm. I do deal with a lot of families, especially daughters or daughter-in-laws who really are going through a lot of guilt making decisions that they don't want to make. They right. want their mother or their mother-in-law or their friend to make those decisions. And I think that your pre-planning helps with that because they know what you want. It makes it so much easier because the last thing that a child wants to do is make their parents' decision for them. Right. 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 So describe to us your encounter with, I guess it was your supervisor and maybe friends. Have you told friends? How did you discuss that? And how did you decide um, who you're going to tell and, and when? I guess um, it was after I came back to work from being furloughed after COVID. I'd already talked to my manager. She knew every because like I said, she's a, I've been friends with her for so many years. So all of my close friends already knew, but I didn't actually put the wheels into motion, so to speak, as far as leaving my job. But I've always been very open about it since then. And, you know, some people were shocked, the ones that I weren't as close to. But most people don't really want to even talk about this disease. That's, that's what's weird about it. And I want to talk about it. And sometimes people are uncomfortable talking about it. But most of my friends were, you know, they wanted to know. And they still, you know, you're going to lose some friends. <laughs> I've lost a few friends. Not, not really lost them, but they just kind of shy away from you. Mm -hmm. But I've made so many more new friends since then. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but. You did. You did in so many ways. So how did you overcome that fear of getting the diagnosis and what positive things have come out of that? Well, I have a lot of faith in Christ that gets me through everything. A lot of the good things have come of it is um, I was always a shy person and quiet I'm no longer that shy, quiet person anymore. I talk to everybody I come in contact with. You know, all my neighbors know what I'm going through. I say, if you see me out in the street half dressed, push me back in the door. You know, I don't want to be that crazy woman running the neighborhood, you know. Right. And so I try to be very open with people. Uh huh. And so they know what I'm going I would rather they know what I'm going through than think that I'm the crazy woman down the block, you know. Right. So I'm very open with people. I just, I enjoy every day to the fullest. I think that's the most important thing. And you know, it's really weird, Dawn, because I am a cancer survivor. And when I was going through all my treatments and all that, you just want to get better. And it's like, you know, I got to get a cure and, and, all, and all that stuff is so natural. You know, and that's what normal mm -hmm. people, that's what you want. But with this disease, for me, 
right now there is no cure. Yes, I'm in a study and I'm going to be taking either the drug or the placebo and we'll see what happens, but I'm okay. I'm okay with whatever happens. That's why I live my life to the fullest every day. And I'm very honest with people and I'm especially with my family, with my grandchildren. I've, I talk to them and they, I want them to know everything about me, all the good and the bad, the, my history, everything. Um, because I want them to know who I was and I want them to hear it from me, not hear from what their mother thinks or their dad thinks or whatever. I want them to know me inside and out. I think that's very important. Wow. That's, that's so much. You, you're giving such great information, Rita. I just can't tell well, you I, how, how great it is. My whole goal is because one day down the road, I might hurt somebody's feelings or I might, you know, I might say something that's bizarre or something. And I don't, you know, I want them to know who I was before all of this, you know? So when I get to that point, they, they will maybe hopefully forgive me of something I might say or do. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. So, so you connected um, not only with the study group, but with the Alzheimer's Association, with the early onset group, and now you are a national ambassador speaking for um, people with early onset. So what changes have you made or are you making for your life to make yourself available? Obviously, this is very important to you and you're very good at it, by the way, that these benefits have brought to you. I, I can tell that there's a lot of reward in your life, but why did you apply to be an ambassador? Well, <laughs> without going too much into my faith, <laughs> I would just, God was just leading me to help other people and to, and to sh- share my story. So I was trying to figure out how I was supposed to do this. And Paul Hornbeck, he also wrote his own book. That was another book. And he was a part of the same study group that I'm in, but he hasn't been coming. And since I joined, he hasn't been there. So I thought, well, gosh, you know, I didn't know, you know, how far along he had progressed into the disease. So I didn't know if he would ever be back to the group. Well, I guess it was last fall. uh, One day he showed up in the group and we're all wearing masks, you know? And so he introduced himself and, and I said, what was your name? And he said, Paul Hornbeck. And I said, Oh, I've read your book. Well, he and I just took over that whole meeting and everybody else was just sitting there listening because they didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. So we had this conversation and he was telling me how he would, he had been on this um, committee for two years and he highly recommended me to apply for this position. I was like, okay, I'll do that then. So I applied thinking, you know, what are the odds, you know, but if it's meant to be, it'll happen. And I was chosen. The other people on my committee are much more educated than I am. So I was actually very surprised that I got chosen. So Hmm. here I am. (laughs) I imagine, um, you know, there's a lot of educated people out there, but sometimes the common man just wants to touch base with someone who lives life simply and uh, makes steps every day. So I just encourage you in that. I know from podcasting and from speaking across the nation about dementia, people just want to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. They want some basic information because it touches their lives very personally. Yeah. Uh, and it's not always the technical, uh, what is Alzheimer's or what is Louis body or anybody can look that up, right? It's the simple things that you talk about. I think that bring huge value to people going through the journey that you're going through. So mm-hmm. let's change up just a little bit. So your life has changed considerably. 
-hmm. after the diagnosis and during the pandemic, you obviously uh, were forced to make decisions as many of us were, right? Right. Due to the Mm -hmm. pandemic, a lot of people made life changes, career changes, but you made changes and took other steps to dedicate yourself to pursuing a, a healthy lifestyle. Tell us about what some of those changes were that you made and what steps did you take? Well, I grew up in California, so I'm used to really beautiful weather. Living in Kentucky, the weather's not so great all the time. And I love warm weather so that I have to, I don't know, it's different here. I Uh love the, it's, it's beautiful, but the weather gets very cold sometimes. But I try to walk every day. I was walking up to about four miles a day. Now I'm probably walking two to three miles. I do have a new dog who's my training to be a service dog. Her name is Dolly Pardon. She's so cute. <laughs> she's a um, cream-colored standard poodle. Mm-hmm. But she's going to be my service dog. So we walk a lot. I love to walk. And I also um, am learning Spanish. And I'm going to be taking piano lessons soon. So anything to build new brain cells is what I do. I just try to stay active. I have a, <laughs> I have a whiteboard here in my kitchen that has all everything I have to do during the day. And um, I have uh, exercises, walking, Spanish, my devotion, my Bible study, you know, comb my dogs. I have three dogs. So I have three dogs to take care of. So that's a lot. Wow. Um, But I just try to stay active. And my diet is probably where I don't succeed as well as I should. The Mediterranean diet is supposed to be the best diet for somebody who has Alzheimer's. But I like to tell people I don't eat anything that swims. So therefore, I don't eat any seafood or anything like that. And those are the right. top things you're supposed to eat. Mm-hmm. But I try to do my best. But, you know, I think the further along you get in the disease, always is the junk food that you want more than anything. So, <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about Dolly. I read about Dolly and that you walk her every day and um, you're, you're training or training to be a service animal. So mm-hmm. I know we use pet therapy a lot in uh, senior living and programming, uh, but tell us about that because you're actively involved with her and, and uh, you know, that walk is, is a lot. Where do you get that energy and tell us what she's brought to your life? Oh, she is, she is something else. She's a, such a blessing. She's only eight months old, but I, it's really weird, Dawn, because I tried to get her two years ago from this breeder that I had. We used to live in Arizona and I had, I had used him before. So I knew when I, cause I've had several standard poodles, but I thought I want to go back to this breeder. So I contacted him. And so I was going to get one from his next coming litter. Well, they all didn't survive. And I was crushed. See, I go to Arizona every year for a week. So I had planned on getting my dog then. Mm-hmm. And the litter did not survive. So I was like, oh, no, what do I do now? I have to wait another year. So I did. I waited another year and I went back um, last February. And that's when I got Dolly Pardon. That's just part of my plan. I, I don't know. I've just got this vision of what my life is like. And she's part of that plan. And she's worked out so good for me. She, um, It's just hard to explain. Um, okay. Well, it it sounds like you have a planned journey and you're walking it out. So that's pretty pretty impressive. She's she's awesome now. You know, I I looked into sending her off to have her trained, but it's so expensive. Gosh, it's like the price of a car to get your dog trained to be a service dog. 
Mm-hmm. So I've got this dog trainer that I'm working with and taking her through the third step of the obedience class. And then we're going to start on the service dog stuff. We're just taking, you know, one step at a time and I'm loving every minute of it. And she, she's just such a blessing. She's it just sounds like so it. So, so for those of us who've been in dementia care for a very long time, uh, you're doing several things that we call the science of neuroplasticity, right? Which is cognitive uh, neuron rebuilding or preservation. So you're learning Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. And a musical instrument which mm-hmm. in addition to exercise are the three top things that you can do to maintain cognitive reserve, build neurons, you know, brain health. How were you led in that direction? I mean, you're a classic in what you picked up. That's what I would have told you as a coach to do the exact <laughs> things you're doing. And did somebody tell you that, or was that from your research or? No, I just, um, I also quilt and I'd love to do beadwork on a loom. So I do that stuff too. And it's just all kind of led to all these other things. As far as the um, Spanish, one of my oldest stepdaughter, she teaches Spanish and she actually, uh, she's a missionary over in Southeast Asia. So she was home one week and she downloaded an app on my phone for uh, learning Spanish. I do that every day and it's actually fun. I took Spanish in high school, of course, you know, but gosh, that's so long ago, you know, mm-hmm. so but it's been a lot of fun. When I get this one done, I want to learn to um, Navajo. I'd like to learn that language next. I don't know. It's just, I'm just trying to build brain cells. I love jigsaw puzzles. Uh-huh. I try to do that, you know, right. but it's only so much time in the day. I can get all done. Well, it, it sounds like you have a whiteboard and a lot on your, on your schedule. Does your energy fluctuate from day to day or how do you keep up with oh, all yeah. of that? Well, the thing is with this disease, my brain kind of shuts down about four o'clock in the afternoon. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you could be talking to me and I can see you your mouth moving, I can hear your words, but nothing's processing. So I try to get everything done as early as possible during the day. You know, some days are better than others. You know, I just try to stay positive. I, you know, I could get down, I really could get down, but I, I try not to, because I don't want to go there, you know? Absolutely. That's not pretty. So I don't want to go there. (laughs) For any of us, right? For any of us. You know, and I, I worry about my family. Like I said, I'm, People think I'm crazy because I think right now I'm happier than I probably have ever been because I'm probably more honest with myself and the other people. I'm good. Now, I worry about my family, what they're going to have to deal with down the road. But hey, I'm I'm doing fine. You know, I'm just plugging along. How has this diagnosis impacted your sense of identity? It's so much better because before I think I associated my identity with my job. And I, I think that's where we mess up in life is we're, we're not who, what our job is. We're so much more than that. And, you know, when you're working 40 hours and plus a week, it's just do your job, get home, get ready, go to bed, get up next day for the next day. You know, you don't really take it all in. And when you've got a diagnosis like this, I just take it all in and, you know, try to have as much fun. Well, you took some major steps uh, after getting the diagnosis and during the pandemic and you were furloughed, you were at home, but you made the decision during that time, right? To retire. 
mm-hmm. which must have been, you know, something you put a lot of thought into, your husband put a lot of thought into, and your family. So it sounds like that you've really simplified things in your life um, so that you could cope. Is that the case? Yes. I mean, I, I don't do a whole lot. I mean, as far as I don't get out, I don't go places as much as I used to. I don't travel as much as I used to. I still want to go to Arizona every year for at least a week. That's my favorite place. Like I said, I grew up in California, but I love the West. Um, if I had my way, I'd probably be living there, but you know, mm-hmm. with this disease, that's probably not going to happen. So things like that have slowed down, but my day-to-day things that I do throughout the day have not slowed down. And I think that's where my dogs make me happy and they give me the companionship that I need because I do spend a lot of time alone because my husband is still working. It's just life's different, but I love it. You know? Yeah. How has this disease impacted your family, your husband, those relationships? We talked some about friends, but let's talk about your family. Well, my husband, he's one of those really nice guys that, you know, quiet guys and just kind of holds everything inside, you know? So he struggles with, with this disease probably more than I do. And he worries, he's such a worrier. Um, he just had heart valve replacement surgery last Thursday, a week ago, Thursday. So he's, you know, recovering from that, but he was really concerned about going into this surgery. You know, what's going to happen to you if something happens to me? And, and I said, you just can't, you can't live your life like that. You just can't think about what if, you know, you just got to live each day, you know, as far as um, my kids, I've got kids all over the United States and <laughs> across the country, across the world, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So there's four of them, but I only have one that lives here local. And that's my, my husband had two kids and I had two kids when we got married. So there's four kids mm-hmm. together, but as far as I'm concerned, they're all my kids. So his youngest daughter is the one that's here and she's a speech pathologist at Cardinal Hospital Rehab. So she works with um, all kinds of stroke patients and people with dementia and things like that. So she understands me better than anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, my relationship with her has really grown over the last few years because she does understand me. And if I have any problems with her dad, then she kind of helps me out with that too. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. You know, yeah, speech yeah. therapists, a lot of people don't know this, are expertly trained in in cognitive therapy. Yeah. That is their their role and their training. Yeah. And uh, so they do it very well. So you're very fortunate yes, to have her. And uh, yeah. she's very fortunate to have you. So how's your husband doing? Yeah, he's doing good. He's doing good. Yeah. Well, we wish him well. We extend well wishes to him. And so I have one last question and then mm-hmm. you can share anything you want to share. I'm so thankful you came on the podcast today. But so a number of people in the audience are hard at work um, supporting individuals with dementia, uh, multiple types of dementia, or their families or friends are impacted. So what would you like them to know? Because you are probably one of the most positive people that I have ever interviewed or, or work with, uh, your outlook is, is splendid. And uh, I know that you are going to help and impact many people. What would you like people to know? I would like for people to know to get diagnosed as early as possible. If you're suspicious about anything, stop and think about it. Ask yourself some serious, hard questions and get some help. Because it could be anything. 
you know, it could be stress. It could be a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be the worst diagnosis in the world. Life is what you make of it. Just be honest with yourself and with those around you. I think if people in this world would be honest with one another, we wouldn't have all these problems that's going on. You know, just be honest with people and love on people. That's, that's my whole goal is just love on people. You know, I mean, so many hurting people out there and, you know, honestly, I, I've got a good friend who's going through, you know, she's got cancer going through treatments and all that. And she has it so much more rough than I do, you know, and I, my heart goes out to those people. So this is not the worst thing that can happen to you. And I think if people would just, you know, research it and find out on your own, you can, you can get through this, but you do need to be honest with yourself and your family and be able to um, open up to people. That's, that's how I do it anyway. So just try to help other people. Well, thank you, Rita. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. You are welcome back anytime uh, <laughs> to have discussions and to share your stories. So there's someone listening today. Um, Rita has alluded to many resources and one of them being the Alzheimer's Association. They do have a 24-hour hotline and a resource page for education and referral. We will be posting that on our resource page following the podcast. And I just want to say to the listening audience, you're not alone. I hope that something that Rita has shared today or we have discussed has helped you now or in the future. And I just want to say to you, find some joy in the journey. And uh, until next time, make it a memorable day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Disappearing Mind podcast. We hope it's helped you find clarity and support along your journey. Be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode, visit our website to suggest future topics, and share the podcast with friends and family.